It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hey everyone, Tim McMaster here with another Pipeline podcast. Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo of MLBPipeline.com here as we will cover some different topics here. We're going to look ahead a full year. Uh, Jim Callis has broken out his crystal ball and predicted who the top 10 prospects in baseball will be at the end of the 2017 season. So we'll get into that a little bit. Uh, Jonathan has an article about players who really helped their stock during the 2016 season. We'll talk about that, but... Let's start, guys, with more newsy things, and that is the San Diego Padres, who called up four players on Wednesday, uh, three prospects, and then another player who just isn't a prospect because he's got too much time in the big leagues. But they let these guys play it out at the AAA level. They went to the championship game before falling to Scranton and Wilkes-Barre, and now they're finally heading up to San Diego for a couple of weeks of work to get their uh, feet wet, I guess. But let's the four players are Manuel Margot, the number two prospect in the system, Hunter Renfro, number three in the system, Carlos Asuaje, number 20 player in the system, and then Austin Hedges, who's no longer a prospect but still a good young catcher for that team. Um, Jonathan, I'll start with you. Do you like the idea of these guys getting to kind of play it out at the minor league level? They won a championship with El Paso before they lost to the International League champion, and and the Padres obviously having a terrible season. So these guys get to experience the win. Yeah. I, you know, I was kind of a two minds because I think, you know, and we've probably talked about it on, on this very podcast and past in terms of guys we'd like to see get called up. And I would have liked to have seen Margot and Renfro get, uh, get some more time. But, uh, you know, I also understand uh, that uh, there is some importance uh, and some value in, in, letting them have that run. Uh, that El Paso team uh, was really, really good and relatively intact, uh, you know, in terms of its core. Uh, and they didn't want to disturb that because they know that core is going to be relied upon uh, in the future. Uh, so, yeah, you know, at the end of the day, I think uh, it made sense for them to let them finish off the run, make, made it all the way to that AAA championship game, as you said. And then, and then come up, and it's not like they're going to get a ton of work in that's going to mean a whole lot. This is more a, uh, a reward for a, a, a good and productive season for, for each of the guys who, who got called up. Jim, when you look at these guys, obviously men, uh, Margot and Renfro, two of their very best prospects. Uh, we talked a little bit about this on the talkback yesterday, but both high-end guys um, – you think Renfro slightly higher ceiling than Margot? I do, just because I think he can impact the ball more. I think if, if it all comes together for Renfro, you're, you're looking at a you know perhaps a a 30 home run right fielder, and he's pretty athletic uh, for his size, and he's got a good arm. You know, and then the, the question is, I mean, you know, he doesn't manage the strike zone nearly as well as as Margot. So ceiling, yes, I would go Renfro. I still like Margot a little bit better as a prospect. I have fewer doubts that he'll hit. I think there's less risk with the bat there, if not as much impact. But what he's not going to give you in home run power, 
And he's not just a little slappy guy, but Margot can you know really run. He'll be a stolen base, on base uh, type of guy, and can really play good center field. So I think Margot's got the higher floor. Renfro's got the higher ceiling, and Margot, when you when you add it all up, is probably a little bit better prospect in my mind. Margot in the futures game, Jonathan. We get to see him play center field, go over the wall, make a fantastic catch out there in San Diego in front of uh, the hopeful future fans. Uh, Carlos Asuaje was also in that futures game. Now he's only ranked number twenty in the system, uh, according to you guys on Pipeline.com, um, and maybe he ends up, I guess, being more of a utility guy. But he just seems to really have it all together. I remember talking to him at the Futures game, and, and he's, he's a smart guy, and he seems like he's going to be one of those guys that you love to have on your team. Yeah, I think so. And he may, he may be one of those guys that's also a little bit better uh, and a little bit more valuable to a major league team than his prospect status indicates. If you told me that he'd end up being a, an everyday second baseman you know, on, a, on a really deep team, you know, I, I, I could see it. Uh, he has some offensive skills. Uh, you know, he gets on base. He can run a little bit. He's got just enough extra base ability where you think maybe he could be an everyday guy. But he also can play uh, a bunch of different positions uh, if you need him to. Um, you know, he's seen time at third and, and even in the outfield. Uh, so he may be one of those super utility guys who works his way into the lineup more often than not because of the things he can do with the bat. Jim, did Hedges originally get called up maybe a little too soon? Uh, I don't think a little too soon. I think a lot too soon. (laughs) What they did with him didn't make much sense to me at all last year because they called him up. You know, he's one of the best catching prospects in baseball, but at the same time the defense was well ahead of the offense, and they basically called him up to be a backup to to Norris there on the big league club, and then they didn't play him. Like, it was kind of a waste. You you kept him in the big leagues all year. You let him accrue a bunch of service time, and you stunted his development by not playing him. Not not you personally, Tim, but the Padres. It's uh, (laughs) not blaming you, Tim. But uh, I know you call a lot of shots, but maybe not in San Diego. Um, And and this year they let him – they did what they should have done last year, which was let him get some extended playing time in AAA. He hit a lot better. I mean, all these guys have great numbers because El Paso is a great place to hit, and the PCL is a hitter's league. And I don't think Austin Hedges is going to put up the numbers in the big leagues that he did at El Paso, but this guy could be an all-star catcher. He could be a gold-glove catcher with a decent to solid bat. All right, so there you have it. A core to the Padres that they hope helps get them back into the into contention over the next few years, and, and I think a group that could end up being there on the roster uh, come opening day in 2017. All right, guys, Jim, I, I teased it off the top. Uh, we're going to look ahead a year. Uh, a lot can change over the course of a year as far as prospects go. Guys will graduate, obviously, off of lists. Some guys will have bad seasons and drop off. Some guys will have great seasons come out of nowhere. Uh, but Jim has thrown that all together into some sort of crazy formula and come up with the top 10 prospects for the end of the 2017 season. Uh, I'm not going to give the whole 10 list away, Jim. People can read it on, on MLBPipeline.com. But your number one, Victor Robles, right? It, it is Victor Robles. And, and there was a lot of subjectivity in there, too. I, I wish it was as simple as doing a formula. But basically, one thing I noticed, when you go back and look at the last three years, if you look at the guys who are on the season-ending list, the number one prospect the next year is a guy who was on that list but didn't graduate over the course of next year. So if you look at the guys who are going to end this season on the top ten, there's four guys who will do that but don't figure to lose their, their, major, their rookie eligibility next year. 
Austin Meadows is kind of on the fence because I actually think he's ready for the big leagues or will be pretty early next year. Although I don't have any idea where Pittsburgh will play him. And the other three guys are Brendan Rodgers, the Rockies middle infielder, Victor Robles, the Nationals outfielder, and Ahmed Rosario, the Mets shortstop. And we've got them currently lined up on the current list, Rodgers, Meadows, Robles, Rosario. And I actually think that the two best guys will be the two guys who are on the bottom. I just think Victor Robles... I think more and more people are going to know about this guy next year. He, he might have the best all-around tools in the minors. I, I look at this guy as a center fielder who could hit 300 with 50 homers and 40 steals. He played very well this year in high class A, getting promoted right after he turned 19. You know, it, you know the Nationals are still got to figure out where they're going to play Trey Turner long term. If they keep Turner in center field, Robles, unlike a lot of center fielders, has a very strong arm. He profile in right field too. I just, I, you know, I, I. I Carried the. They, I, won't, I won't say I was driving the Byron Buxton bandwagon because a lot of people liked him. And even when he started to have you know a slump in the big leagues, and, and I still get it from people on Twitter like, how can you believe in this guy? And I'd say, look at the tools. Well, that, that's the same thing I'm going to say with Victor Robles. Just look at the tools. This, this guy's pretty incredible. All right, and Jonathan, do you disagree? You got somebody else who you think is number one? I don't. I don't disagree. And I will say, uh, along with with Jim in terms of the whole Byron Buxton thing. Uh, maybe we weren't driving, but we, we stayed on that bus a lot longer than many other people. Um, I, I know. I think, I think Robles is, is a, is a good choice if, uh, you know, and I could see him being definitely in the conversation for number one, uh, and just in terms of the overall tool package. But, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to go with another guy up the middle and this guy, he has at number two and that's Ahmed Rosario of the Mets. Uh, and this is a guy who pretty much since he signed uh, back in 2012, the Mets have pushed really aggressively. And so if you look back over his career numbers before this year, you may look at the numbers and be like, eh. But he was always you know, two, three years younger than everybody else uh, at the level. And then this year it all kind of came together. Uh, and he hit 341 in 54 games in A at age 20 after starting the year in, in St. Lucie, which I thought was a smart decision by the Mets to sort of slow him down a little bit. I mean, this is a, this is a guy who will turn 21 in November. Uh, so he'll be 21 for all of the 2017 season. Uh, he does everything well. Uh, you know, as Jim pointed out in his story, he doesn't have plus power, but there is some power there. And I think he's going to grow into a little bit more. Uh, he's going to stay at shortstop. And, you know, should be ready, uh, I think, by 2018 to, to take over in New York. Uh, so I could see him by season's end, uh, you know, premium shortstop with all those tools. That sounds like a, a number one prospect candidate to me. Now, yeah, those what? guys, I went back and forth on those two guys. And yeah, it was more like he kind of came down to, okay, well, i got to turn the story in. I can't pick them both. But <laughs> I agree with you. I just think those two guys, premium positions, unbelievable tools, very advanced for their age. Exciting, exciting guys. Now, one thing lacking from your list, Jim, is any kind of pitching. you got the top ten prospects, and they're all position players. Is that just the state right now of, of the better players in minor league baseball, that there's kind of a, I don't want to say a lack of, of pitching, but a lack of the pitching that, that would be at that level ahead of all these position guys? Yeah, no, that's true. Um, you, you know, it was the... The thing is, when I first did the list, I noticed that too. Hey, I've got no pitchers. Maybe I should try to rectify that. But then you look at our you look at our current list, and you know we still have. There's probably about another handful of guys who are going to graduate and lose prospect status before the end of the season. But but when this season ends in ten days or so, 
if you look at our top 25 prospects, we're going to have three pitchers in the top 25. And that's Alex Reyes, who's going to just miss graduating himself despite a late promotion. Uh, and he obviously won't be around for next year's list at the end of the year. Tyler Glasnow, the Pirates, who, had he not been hurt, he probably would have graduated this year. He won't be around for next year, next year's end of, end of season top ten. And then the third guy is Anderson Espinosa, the Padres, who I still like a lot. Um, and he's still very young and very precocious and 18 years old. But I, I, there's a little hesitance for me to put him in the top ten uh, just because he didn't dominate this year. You know, and, he, and he has been moved aggressively, um, and I still like him, but I couldn't quite put him in the top ten. If I were to put, I, to me, the top pitchers who jumped out at me as guys who could make the top ten were Espinosa, obviously, and I, I wouldn't have him far off the top ten. And then the, the, the one thing that's nice in terms of how this much should be, could change in the future, you know, it seems like there's never enough pitching, and, and this actually doesn't speak well to more pitching on the way. But as you guys know, I mean, the strength of this year's draft was high school pitching. There are a lot of really exciting pitchers. And you've heard me profess my, my prospect love for Braxton Garrett several times. It wouldn't shock me at all if Braxton Garrett made the top ten, or if not Braxton Garrett, Riley Pine or Jason Groom or or whoever, you know, out of that, that, that great high school pitching crop. But that, there just was not a pitcher I, I thought could crack the list. I mean, out of next year's draft, I think the best prospect is Hunter Green, and I like him right now a little bit more as a pitcher. But I, I don't think – if we weren't going to put these high school pitchers from this year's group into the top ten, I think Braxton Garrett's around 35 right now on the list, or will be right around there at the end of the year. I, I don't think we, we, we would run Hunter Green all the way up into the top ten next year as a high school pitcher. Jonathan, what kind of a year does one of these pitchers who was just drafted this June, what kind of a season would they have to have next year to jump all the way up into a top 10 overall position? Yeah, I think they would have to show that they were dominant at whatever full season league they, they go to. And if we're talking about the high school pitching from this draft, you know, if all of them make that low A full season team and then show that they uh, can be really effective at that level, uh, you know, maybe even earning a promotion, uh, you know, by the year's end, uh, I think that would go a long way to, to jumping, uh, you know, uh, up into the top 10 range. Cause I think it's showing that uh, not only do they have, you know, the upside potential that we, we see in the Riley Pints and the Jason Grooms and the, and the Braxton Garrett's, but that they're, you know, that they're already effectively using it. I'll throw one more name out there that I, I don't know that he would necessarily uh, be top 10, but in terms of the stuff, if he can sort of keep his act together, is Michael Kopech from the Red Sox. I was wondering, Jim, if you sort of considered him at all. Uh, there's been a, you know, his track record hasn't been great just in terms of doing stupid stuff and uh, getting suspended. But I mean, this is a guy who threw 105 miles an hour and he's got starter stuff and absolutely dominated when he pitched this year. So I could see end of next year if he continues pitching like he did when he got back this year he might enter into that conversation. Yeah, I, I could see that. I mean, he you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, he's he's been suspended uh, for failing the drug test, and then he broke his pitching hand in an altercation with a teammate in spring training. So he only pitched 56 innings this year. But if he came out and put up the numbers this year, you know, let's say he pitched 125 innings next year, 140 innings next year, and he <laughs> maintained his strikeout rate, which I think would mean he'd strike out about 160, 180 guys and – I mean, his numbers this year in high A were ridiculous. 52 innings, 25 hits, 29 walks, 82 strikeouts. If he if he kind of duplicates that performance over a full season, yes, I, I could definitely see him making a push into that top ten as well. 
All right. The other one thing, the other thing I want to touch on with you guys is Jonathan. You you have an article about the the ten players who really helped their stock in 2016. Which last week I think it was we talked about guys who had great second halves, which obviously helps them out. But they all had poor first halves. These are guys that really kind of took off this year. And Ahmed Rosario is one of them. So we're not going to talk about him, but he's on your list uh, as a guy who really helped himself out. And, and Kopech is as well on the pitching, so guys that we just kind of talked about. Um, but other hitters um, that you have on here, Cody Bellinger. Talk about him a little bit, the Dodgers' uh, number one guy and, and what he did this year to help himself. Yeah, I mean, he was already on, on radars uh, you know, to, to an extent, but, uh, you know, this is a guy who in 2015 um, really went for power. I don't want to say he sold out for power, uh, but the batting average took a hit. His strikeout rate went up. He was playing in the California League. So I think everyone kind of wanted to know, well, what is he going to do uh, in 2016 as he moves up? And he got a lot better, uh, you know, he strikeout rate went down the walk rate went up and he still showed power so he didn't he didn't give up any of that power at 26 homers in the regular season uh moved you know pretty quickly through uh through their system now um and he went from being unranked at the start of the season because everyone i think was had questions and uh now he's you know in the 30s um and you know and jim thinks he's going to be in the top 10 you know a, a year from uh a year from now, and I could certainly see that, especially if he continues along this developmental path. Uh, Jim, the other guys on this list uh, had big moments or big events that kind of helped them out as well. Francisco Mejia, the 50-game hitting streak, obviously that helps things out. Was almost traded at the deadline from the Indi- from the Indians in the Jonathan Lucroy deal that didn't happen. And then Aloy Jimenez, Jim, I'll let you talk about him since it's your backyard there in Chicago, the next great Cubs prospect on the way. Yeah, it, it's it's funny. I was out at Wrigley Field talking to some guys who, who worked for the Cubs yesterday about how there's there's still more great young hitters on the way, and not just Jimenez. I mean, he's probably three. He, he's the best of what they have coming, but they have they'll have Heimer, uh, Condelario, and Ian Happ ready before him. But I mean, we saw this guy at the Futures game hit a long home run, impressive batting practice, tremendous play down the right field line, uh, kind of going over the wall to to catch a foul ball, and you know with him. You know, he—I kind of put him in the same category, like like Jonathan was talking about Bellinger, and, and Jimenez was another guy who I had on that top ten for next year too. I mean, he was a known quantity for sure. I mean, he was considered the best international prospect in the summer of 2013, and he signed for 2.8 million. And you know, he was very young, and it sometimes takes these guys to develop. And I think I wouldn't say it made him look bad, but Gliber Torres was part of that same Cubs international class, and Gliber kind of hit the ground running and played in the Midwest League last year and was in high A this year before he won the role as Chapman trade. And so there was a lot of focus, I think, on Gliber Torres and not a lot of talk, relatively speaking, about Jimenez. Jimenez goes to Midwest League this year, you know, at the ripe old age of 19. And all he does is win the MVP award and, and hit 329 with power. And, you know, he's got prototypical right field tools. Um, and so, again, I think it was kind of like a deal like Cody Bellinger where it's not like people didn't know who this guy was and weren't intrigued by him, but he just solidified a lot of areas of his game this year. And, you know, excited to see him. The Cubs are, I think, going to try to expedite him a little bit more with a stint in the Arizona Fall League. And I don't know if he would start next year in double-A, Probably not because he's young, but that AFL uh, assignment makes me think he'll probably be in double-A by the end of 2017. 
All right, let's switch over to pitchers on your list, Jonathan. You have five hitters, five pitchers, and I mentioned Kopech's one of these pitchers, but uh, Mitch Keller, a pirate. I let Jonathan talk about the Cubs, so how about Mitch Keller? What did he do this year in that pirate system? Because we've talked so much about the other, the other young pitchers with Pittsburgh. Well, I think you let Jim talk about the Cubs, so I'll talk about the Pirates. But Is that what I uh, – yeah. People get us confused all the time. I, I understand. Um, yeah, I mean, Keller uh, is another of – you know, you talked about the, you know, the, the Cubs generating all this young hitting talent, and uh, the Pirates haven't produced pitching talent quite to the, the extent both in, in volume and, and quality, but uh, they have shown the, the ability to be patient uh, and – and turn high school arms uh, that they've aggressively gone after over the past several years and, and turn them into to good pitchers. Uh, you know, Tyon finally made it up this year. Tyler Glass now is knocking on the door. Uh, I think Keller is going to be the next uh, in that wave, and I think I think he's going to be a lot better than anyone uh, expected, and maybe even the the Pirates. Um, and he began the year number 14 on the Pirates, 30 now in the top five, and he's in the top 100. Um, you know, this was his full season debut. And I talked about what some of those high school pitchers would need to do to, to leap up in the rank is they would need to dominate their level. And that's what Keller did. I mean, he, he was all over the organizational leaderboard right at the top and, and the number of, of categories moved up to Bradenton late for the playoffs, um, through eight shutout innings and reportedly was touching 99 miles an hour in, in that last start as Bradenton won the Florida State League crown. Uh, so, you know, my, my guess is he starts the year back in Bradenton. And, uh, you know, they tend to be cautious, but I think he'll, he'll pitch his way uh, to double to A. And, he, you know, he's way ahead of the curve in terms of age. He's just 20 right now. Uh, so uh, an exciting guy, obviously, you know, assuming health and – you never know, and the Pirates certainly have learned that the the hard way with some of their young pitchers. But uh, you know, the arrow is pointing way up for him. How about a pitcher off this list for you, Jim, that you really like? Well, I think a guy who kind of came out of nowhere, and it's a team. I, I do the top thirty-four, and I had his name. I kind of had him in the middle of the list, but Johan Mendez, you know, went from the beginning of the year. You know, as one of the Rangers' better pitching prospects, but kind of like middle tier of their system, or middle tier in terms of how you'd line them all up. To he's going to end this season when Joey, Joey assuming Joey Gallo gets a couple more at bats, which has been slow going, but I assume when the Rangers clinch, he'll play a little bit more. Johan Mendez will end the season as not only the Rangers' best pitching prospect, but as the Rangers' best prospect overall, one of the best lefties in baseball. I mean, he's always had a good good changeup. Started throwing harder this year. Um, breaking ball, you know, this curveball, it, it, it's not its not going to be a plus pitch, but I think it's been a little bit more consistent. And you're talking about a guy who started the year in high class A at age 21, and had he spent the entire year there, that would have been somewhat age appropriate. But he not only got the double A pretty quickly, he finished the year in triple A with a 0.57 ERA. In, in seven appearances, and then it came up to the big leagues, and they've used him a little bit in long relief. I mean, if you told me at the beginning of the year that Johan Mendez would be the Rangers' top prospect and be in the big leagues at the end of the season, I would have said, what? Like, like how's that going to happen? But, but that's what's going to happen. That's what's happened. Tremendous stuff, guys. As always, that's going to do it for another Pipeline podcast with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in again next time.
Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. 